Welcome to the Law of Startups podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Uh, thank you for being with us. Today we have, uh, we're fortunate to have with us Susie Lee. She is the co-founder of uh, and CEO of a company called Siren, uh, which is a, a dating app that is uh, she brought she brought up here in Seattle. So welcome to the show, Susie. Thank you for being with us. Thanks for inviting me, Joe and Mike. Absolutely. Hey, so um, I think a lot of um, people who start companies or are thinking about starting companies I love to hear the stories about how other people did it, because I think for a lot of people, it can be kind of a daunting idea to start a company. Um, so anyway, I mean, I'd love to hear kind of how you decided to do this, like what you were doing at the time, and, and like, what, was it scary, or how did you make the jump? Right. Um, although it's also interesting that if you hear enough stories about startups and how bizarre and crazy they are, you'd think... How many do you hear before you think, nah, that's, that's, I can't do that. It's <laughs> too many crazies. Um, but uh, the way I started was um, I, uh, I was, uh, or I still am, a visual artist. And a lot of my practice, I think, was um, trying to understand um, social dynamics, basically. And I was doing it through technology. So I really identify myself as a social sculptor. I started out in ceramics and clay, and when you do that, you actually think, here's a material where you are, you know, your hands make an impact directly, right? It affects something. It's very, it's it's really humble material. It's universal, um, but you really do believe you can shape the world. So um, from that, um, I, the thing that I didn't like about ceramics was. Then you baked it, and then suddenly it was this like permanent, unchanging thing. And you know, as you're learning how to make stuff, you're like, well, now what am I going to do with this stupid little thing, right? So I always liked clay before that point because it was mutable. It was like transforming all the time. It went through all these different stages. So I found myself being drawn to technology because it was this very like ongoing, changing, dynamic medium. Um, and then you know was showing and galleries and museums and all this other kind of stuff. It was great, except that I also thought, but like my impact as an artist seems kind of limited because it's through this very specific channel. And if you've gone to museums, usually they're open from 10 a.m. until 5 p.m. Tuesday through Saturday. So you think, well, who who's going to the museum at those point in time, right? It's, it's usually tourists or people who are retired or really don't need to work for a living. So I started to think, I'd I, I want to expand kind of what I can do and what the impact is that I have. Um, and then, uh, and it was totally an accident, but in 2013, at the end of 2013, I got my own smartphone for the first time. So I had a Nokia flip phone. It was a 4106 or something like that beforehand. It was great because it was tactile, so I could actually, I don't know if I should say this, but I could text while driving because it was all done <laughs> without looking at it. Um, but for an art project, I needed to tether to Wi-Fi, and so I reluctantly got a smartphone. Hated it at the first time because it was flat, and I just didn't understand. I said, I have my laptop and a phone. I don't understand why you do these things. So the anthropology, sociology part of me kind of asked people, what are you, what are you doing with this thing? Like, why, why do you have this, and why are you so addicted to it? Um, so that happened, and then um, a friend of mine also was looking at Grindr on his phone, and that's like a gay kind of hookup app. So all I saw were these like bare-chested photos of men, and I grabbed his phone from him and was like, oh my God, you can do this with your phones? (laughs) (laughs) Gay dating app is the killer app for smartphones. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And he said, he looked at me and he's like, "Uh, yeah. And then I said, well, can women do this? And he's like, well, 
I, I don't know. I don't care, actually. <laughs> um, and then I started to think, well, this is kind of amazing and awesome that you can, because you can't do that on your laptops, right? Is like walk around and find out who's available and stuff like that. So then I started just digging into these dating apps. And meanwhile, a lot of my friends who were single and out of college and out of grad school were complaining because they were on these dating apps because they didn't want to go to bars and stuff like that. And so they said, Susie, you should try these. And I was horrified by what was out there. I really do think of them as like a crime against humanity at some level because you're talking about people that they're kind of most vulnerable and wanting to connect and you're treating them as like everybody's like meat in a meat market. So I just thought, oh, I know how to do this better. I totally do. Um, and because of my background as an artist, I was like, oh, no problem. You want me to make one of these little squares on my phone? I can totally do that part of it. So. That's all you do is like you don't think, oh, I'm going to start a startup. I'm going to start a company that's going to take over the world. You just think, I'm going to do one of these little squares. And then you do. But then you learn about things like market fit and you learn about the public demand. So you launch it out there and suddenly people start to use it. And then they are getting excited about it and they, they tell their friends about it. And, they, you know, and then people ask to get on. And then the press gets excited about it. And suddenly you think, oh, my God, I, I have to catch up and do this thing. So... Um, one thing leads to another, and suddenly you have a company that is supporting an idea that you had, you know, a year and a half ago. Yeah. <laughs> how, how cool is that? So how many people right now comprise the team? Uh, we have uh, five people, okay. uh, all in Seattle. Okay. And um, so the sort of, um, you've gone beyond Seattle, right? I mean, this app is Correct. now available just on the App Store generally, right? That's right. So it's, spec it's uh, iTunes, Google Play. It's also got a web app version, and we have, uh, we just actually just hit 9,000 people on the app. Wow, that's great. That's yeah. great, yeah. So is it Android and iPhone? Correct. Yeah. And also a web version. So, you know, for those, version, yeah. for those people in Microsoft who have a, one of those Windows phones. Phone, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so is it like, but when you say web version, do you mean like HTML5? Like, do you, yep. Okay. Yep, so it's dynamic. Okay, that's gotcha. great. Yeah, and how long has it been? Sorry, sorry like, uh, did, how long did it take you to get to that level of users? Like so, um, you know, I think one of the things that's uh, interesting about, I, I kind of knew this, especially as being an artist, is, you know, you basically are making prototypes as an artist all the time. You have an idea, and you kind of throw something out in the public space. And you expect that some things aren't going to work, other things are. Um, so when we launched our, like, beta version of the app, it was, um, it was pretty unstable, and I knew that. So I also recognize that you basically only had one shot with a lot of people to, to download something and have an experience. And so I thought, if you can't even create an account, like that would be really bad. Yeah. Um, so we instituted an, an invite code policy, and that was the first screen you had. And part of that was to grow the community in a way that was very intentional. But the other thing was that we actually locked it down. So when it was crashing like 60% of the time, which literally it was, it was like a 60% crash rate, we just shut everybody out and said, sorry, we need to fix this, um, and then kept doing that. And that's when I realized as someone who was a non-technical co-founder that um, we really needed somebody on the team who could analyze the code and be able to really assess what was going on. And I can at a high level, so because my background is in science, you can absolutely tell me, hey, here are these buckets. This bucket's going to talk to this one. This is how it's going to do it. And I can talk at that level very clearly. But if you then dig you know, into a very specific line in code, I'll be like, uh, I don't know. So um, 
so I knew, I was like, somehow the buckets weren't communicating very well to each other, and um, so we locked it down. But then when we finally stabilized it and started to accelerate, that was in May, and then we opened up and released the invite code in um, this past September. So it's really only been like four or five months that we've really That's accelerated fast, yeah. growth. Yeah. How did you put the team together? So you came to this from an art art background, mm -hmm. but not necessarily a technical background. That's right. Did you did you team up with a technical co-founder right away, or did you did you? Uh, um, so my co-founder is um, her name's Katrina Hess, and she was a or is a local designer in town. And the way that we actually met is um, a friend of mine had commissioned her to. Uh, design a bespoke raincoat for me, and it was not, it was supposed to be like a waxed canvas thing. It was awesome, and um, and she wanted it because she said when I moved to Seattle, it was only REI, right? That was basically it for raincoats. And if you wanted to go to a business meeting, you're like, I don't want to walk in with like that thing off of my bike. So she wanted to make something stylish and functional. I, from the art side, wanted something that was really interesting, and because it was unique, I said, let's just go on an adventure and just make something that's really cool, and like, I don't worry, let's not worry about the timeline. And while we were doing that, I talked to her about this idea of Siren, about what I wanted to change, and she's like, that sounds really cool. I want to do the wireframes for that. And then one thing again, so it's like, there's not this master plan at all, which thank God, because I think if anyone thought there was, you'd be horrified like at how much work there's supposed to be done, but you just kind of <laughs> tackle like one small chunk at a time and you go, oh, that's totally doable. And then that leads to this next problem solving like moment and then the next one. So from the wireframe, she started getting more excited about this, started connecting me to developers she knew, and then we started working on this together and um, you know, we have complementary and opposing kinds of skills, so we just, it worked. Um, and then the third part of our team, David Golightly, he left his job, um, his full-time job, which was as um, you know senior developer at a company to work for us, and he just watched us kind of grow, and then in January, jumped on with us. That's great. The dating app space is really pretty uh, hot right now, right? Like, there's lots yep. of big companies that have grown, uh, and, um, and there seems to be a lot of activity. Like, uh, didn't didn't a few did did a few of the dating sites go public recently? Like, yeah, it? so the big one, which is Match.com, or the parent company IAC, they just went public, I think, on Friday. Oh, wow, yeah, so um, really recently. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and then there's been a number of companies who have actually also um, launched in the last couple of years as well. I mean, the idea is that, especially in the business world, you know, you can monetize things if you solve basic human functions. Um, and one of those is human connection. And the idea that somehow a lot of these online dating sites they're, they weren't working well for people, but it wasn't like that concept of meeting each other online first was going to go away. You just had to do it better. And so people realized there was this opportunity to do it. So tell us about what you did. So Siren is, tell us about what Siren is and yep. how it's different. And, um, you know, just give us the, the sort of story about how it came to be. Well, for any of your listeners out there who uh, are uh, lucky enough to not be familiar with current dating sites, <laughs> There are, uh, you know, essentially two types. And the one type is the older kind of match.com, eHarmony ones where you went in and you just thought, if I tell you everything about myself online, some, some computer is going to be brilliant enough to, like, find my perfect match. Well, if you've ever dated someone who looks great on paper, you know that's like a walking disaster. Like, it's horrible. Um, but, you know, people still believe that's the case. And then the thing is, you know, no matter what you say online, it's never without, it's like, it doesn't have context. So you could say, I'm really into traveling, 
And you recognize that that's not the part that's like the mutually sharing part. It's actually like how you travel, right? Are you a spontaneous traveler? Are you a planner? Do you like going to exotic places? Do you like going camping? All of that, like, you, we can suss out in real life really well, but we can't very easily uh, online. So that's like older models. And it, was, it basically was like looking for like an employee, right, or an employer. It was horrific. And I tried to, when I was launching Siren, to create accounts. And I always got bored about 10% of the way in. I just thought, oh my god, why would you do this? This is like the worst. Mm. And then the other version that came out, kind of I think is a real counter to that, is that Tinder swiping, shopping for humans type thing, right? Yes, no, swipe left, swipe right. Um, and they thought, oh yeah, this is great. This is totally a game, right? So you can now get through thousands and thousands of profiles in a few minutes and suddenly you know, you're supposed to make this match. The problem with all of them is that they're static, right? You have a picture, you have a little description about yourself, and then you're basically selling yourself, like you're marketing. But that's not how you work in real life, right? Real life is about conversation, and it's about can you banter with each other? Do you have the same way of looking at the world? So, um, so that was one part of the puzzle that I'm like, we need to fix that, right? The static profile is really weird. And then the other one is that women felt really uncomfortable online. So if you've heard of things like Gamergate or, um, you know, the, there's a statistic that says like over 42% of women have reported some kind of online harassment. So all the issues that you see swirling around sexism gets really distilled in the online space. So in the dating world, I thought, this is like the worst bar ever, right? <laughs> like almost every dating site seems like you walk into a bar as a woman, you're sat on like, a, like the bar... The, you know, the, a bar stool, and every guy basically gets to hit on you, regardless of whether or not you're interested, if you send any kind of signal of interest, and you just have to sit there and take it. And so your only other option is you actually leave the bar. And I thought, what investor would ever invest in that bar? Like, that's stupid. So I said, you have to allow women to feel safe. And as a woman, I know how to do that, which is I don't want to be objectified for just a photo. And in fact, if you've seen photos of me, I don't look like that like 99.999% of the time. I barely even get my hair brushed most of the time. <laughs> so um, I thought, you know, that's weird that somehow that is the only thing that you're being judged on, right? Like, I'm a funny person. I want to be appreciated for that. Um, I'm, I'm intelligent. I want to, you know, someone to know that part of it. But all you know about me is this photo. So, um, so on Siren, our two things are we allow people to control their photo visibility. So it's blurred until you um, allow someone that you um, are interested in talking to, you actually release your photos to them. Um, or you release basically the, your full profile to them. So hold, um, hold on a sec. So do people use like a username that's other than their real name most mm -hmm. of the time? Okay. They do. And I think part of that is because, you know, the idea is not that you want to create a false piece of information, but that at some level you're dealing with a public and you're dealing with strangers. And it's not that the strangers are like creepy, uncomfortable people, but they are people that you don't know yet. So because you can stalk people online and find all this information about them, having a username which might be like, you know, Crazy Joe is fine. And in fact, it does allow some personality if you if you want it to. Sure. Um, I don't know if you're crazy. Yeah, no, I, I, I was going to say, I guess I kind of like that feature, I, but, but I, anyway, keep going. Yeah. Um, so the idea, though, about the photo visibility is not because people are ashamed of who they look like. Right. But it's actually to say, I want a certain kind of discretion because I'm not the person who wants to market myself right. all the time. Right. Um, 
But it also allows the other side to say, like in real life, if you make eye contact with somebody, it's because you want that person to really see you. So in the, the online translation of that is to say, if I you know, release my photos to you, it's because I really want you to see me. Right. So it actually allows you to have a much clearer signal exchange than before where, you know, especially heterosexual guys would be like, I didn't know that woman was interested in me. And I was like, dude, yeah, I was basically sitting on your lap. What? <laughs> you know? Um, so I'm like, this is as clear as it gets, right? You can see my photo. You didn't do it before. You didn't see it before. Um, and then the other part is that we wanted to make it dynamic. So everybody is pretty much social media literate. With our Facebook accounts and our Twitter, yeah. we know what like new content looks like every day. And I was like, how weird is it that on every other site you see the same piece of information about them? Like, that's it. So we have this idea of the question of the day. And our questions are given to everybody on Siren. So it feels like it's actually like a, a giant conversation that we're all participating in. And it allows you to see people's personality through a, the lens of a specific question. Now, people can say, oh, well, like sites like OkCupid and all the, you know, even eHarmony and Match, they all have these questions. Why are you different? Well, as an artist, I do know that the quality of the question matters. So if you ask a question to a stranger like, what are the three most important things in your life? Right? Like, as a human being, you would just be like, um, I, my friend's over there and I'm just going to grab a <laughs> drink there, right? You're just going to back away slowly. <laughs> but if you say, you know, what if the question was something like, um, you know, hey, what are you currently binging on on Netflix right now? Like, that's something you definitely could share with somebody, and it would tell you a little bit about who they are. The other interesting part of this is that because it's an open-ended question, we eliminate this idea of fake information, which you could totally do, like, an, on a static account, right? So you could say, I own, uh, you know, a Maserati, and I just don't know what to do with it because it kind of competes with my Porsche in my garage, right? And you're like, you could be being funny, you could be lying, you, who knows, right? But when you ask a question like, what's your current Netflix binge, lying doesn't get you any further than telling the truth. Hmm. And that's where I think our questions are really, like, powerful because they're meant to be something that strangers are happy to share with each other. They're actually really cool questions that you feel happy about yourself actually sharing because it's something about you and your unique experience. But it's also something where you're like, yeah, you could lie, but it really is not going to get you any further. So, you know, like a question like, um, we had one that's, um, uh, you know, how would a five-year-old describe your job? Which, actually, how would a five-year-old describe your job, Mike and Joe? <laughs> okay, well, I suppose, um, I'm trying to think about this for a second, but I think a five-year-old might say, uh, something like, uh, oh, my dad um, talks on the phone and sits on a computer. Okay. Maybe. What would your five-year-old say? I have a four-year-old. Okay. Um, he says, I'm trying to think, he would either say he works on the computer or he'd say he makes games because I, I, like, I work on apps. And, yeah. uh, and so when, when I try to explain to him what I do, we sit down and, and I'll, I'll like show him how to make a game and we'll make games on the phone. And I tell him basically I make games. And then the legal clients I work with will, the biggest clients I work with are gaming companies too. So a lot of times I talk to him about having gone on site and where they make the games. So to right. him, he thinks I'm the guy that makes the games. Right. And you're like, I'm going to keep that illusion up. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. If you want to think that I, uh, I'm responsible for all the games. His cool uh, dad. That's fine. <laughs> like, I make, I'll talks make to people games. about making games and then he snaps his fingers and they happen. Yeah. I bring him <laughs> home toys and stuff from the games. He thinks he thinks I'm real plugged in. Like Chotskys and stuff? Well, like action figures yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. like, uh, yeah. That's fun. 
That's really fun. Yeah, so, I mean, like, as you see, it's like you, I, that question gets thrown out there, and suddenly there's a conversation that goes about that. And so um, so we're thinking this is the way to start conversations. And when you do it, actually, where everyone's answering the same question, then you actually also get to kind of differentiate people, right, in a way that doesn't seem so noisy in a system, but it's all like we're thinking about the same thing at the same time. Um, and interestingly enough, you can really tell people through these questions. So once you start answering, you know, six to ten of these, it's like an interview format, right, with like celebrities where you're like, I kind of know this person's personality. Um, and it also allows you to kind of kickstart a conversation. You know, and there's like ways, because it's our discovery method, um, if you choose not to answer a question, you just don't show up that day, right? So it's interesting when people will actually say, this is a stupid question, I don't like it, right? You're like, okay, so you... Didn't want to just not answer the, the question. It says something. It says something totally about you, right? And then you're kind of like, well, why did you do that? And I think, my guess is that that person is hoping that there's somebody on the other side Which that's going to share. Exactly. Way. Be like, yeah. I know these are such stupid questions. Oh, my God, these guys are so immature, right? It's like, whatever. And then, like, <laughs> that's totally, exactly, that's totally fine. I love that spectrum of things because, you know, like, that's how people find each other. So, um, so those are our basic things. And, you know, I think our... Our principles that are very different, I think, than other dating apps is we talk about safety and consent, that mutual kind of um, wanting to connect with each other is a great way of doing it. Being able to control your photo visibility allows for a certain kind of safety. Um, it's about conversation, you know, and it's not just about objectification of, like, you know, basically data points. And the idea that community is really how people want to meet, that, you know, on any other dating site, you're kind of this, like, single data point just kind of shot out in the digital space and it's like well good luck go find that person and you know you're like really like that's not actually the best way to do it you want to you want to talk a little bit about your business model i don't i we haven't talked about it before but i'm, I'm oh. curious about i mean you, like you said yeah dating apps are one of the spaces on the, the internet and in apps where people are certainly willing to spend money yes. if, it, if it helps them solve their problem how did right. wh how did you um what what is your i mean do you charge monthly do you charge by the profile or you know what or, or Right. What, what does it look like, and, and, uh, and how, how does it compare to other apps? That do sure. Um, currently, most apps, um, they, they do things like you either charge to actually just get on, so subscription models of mm -hmm. some sort of like Match.com, Harmony. Um, other ones would try to kind of uh, nickel and dime you, so you'd be like, oh, this person might sound interesting, and then the app would go, oh, you want to message more, them? Yeah. You have to pay this amount, which I also really hate. Um, or something like Tinder, where you can have these added features of saying, oh, whoops, you accidentally swiped left, but you actually wanted to swipe right, so you can go backwards and actually, un there's like an undo feature. Um, or OkCupid will do these things like, oh, you get access to the quote-unquote hottest list. I don't know. These things sound horrible to me. Yeah. Like, um, And I, I don't know. I just don't think that those are really... Um, valuable things for people they again they kind of commodify people so it really becomes shopping for humans it's like oh you want to see all the five-star people we have to pay for it and I'm like well why would your five-star rating be any like my five-star rating right otherwise we'd all be literally dating like George Clooney and that's so not true um, so I was like okay what we really want to do is think about um, there's kind of our, our, our two models are well okay so the, it's actually a slightly more complicated business model, but it actually makes sense. So one of the things is that um, you have this basic information from the question of the day. Well, let's say you are someone who, um, you know, has a family of alcoholism in your family, and you're like, look, I just want everyone to know I don't drink, 
right? It might not be something that comes out in your question of the day, but it could go in kind of a vault where you're like, I just want people to know this. So it can be something where you pay to just say, this is just information that might be either a deal breaker for me or a deal breaker for you. We want to minimize this, and we don't want to make it totally like out in the public, but we want to say, hey, if you are interested in talking to this person, just an FYI about these other things. Okay, so 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 there's like a... It's, it's still like a freemium type model with mm-hmm. like stuff. And one of them might be like the deal breaker, the deal breaker vault. Right. That's, that's a pretty good idea. Yeah. Now, that's only like one small part of sure. it. But then the other part is that we actually are going to say, look, the whole point is that people want to meet in real life. And most of these apps do a really horrible job of doing that. And the reason is because you have to make this jump from like digital conversations to real life. But we actually know how to do that really well in the business world, right? We email, make an introduction, and go, okay, you take it from here, and then people have coffee, right? Somehow in the dating world, we're like, Ugh, I don't know how to do this. So um, what we realized is like, you don't want to go on an endless number of coffee dates with people. Like, that's a lot of caffeine. So people, especially our community, are engaged, and they do things in the social and cultural world. So what we've noticed is that those institutions, whether it's like Town Hall or Seattle Arts and Lectures or the Pacific Northwest Ballet, they're actually coming to us and saying, you have this great community of single people. We would love to be able to partner with Siren because of your dynamic format and give your, you know, users like 50% off of a ticket and a VIP event. That's a that's a great idea. Yeah. That's a, that's a truly great idea. There's tons of organizations that are looking for basically audiences, right? Exactly. And especially like a tech-savvy single audience who are single. But, you know, if you go to a concert, you don't know people's relationship status. And so you're not going to start to, like flirt with people because you're going to be like, oh, 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 sorry, Mike, I didn't know your wife was over. You know what I'm saying? So you don't, you can actually start those conversations online and just think of like, I don't know if um, your users know about Slack, right? So our developers use Slack. And you have these channels. So you could have a channel on Siren, which is this dynamic format about like arts and culture, right? So, uh, you know, music festivals, right? Join the music festival for a subscription for like $10 a month. Talk about and geek on like daily questions about music and this upcoming concert or like, you know, a bumper shoot right and then start to say hey are you going to this concert da, 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 da. or you know there's going to be an awesome siren event you know before this concert let's go to it and then suddenly you're not only just meeting people on siren but you might be meeting other people and that to me is the best way to actually start to navigate this online offline relationship and so that's one of our biggest kind of selling points yeah that seems really well thought out seems like it's a good way to combine the the ability to to charge money with things that actually add some value and exactly. aren't just... Um, and on both sides, right? Because yeah. the, you know, Bumbershoot is interested in making sure that their, um, you know, that their community is right. happy. And our users are like, we would love to be able to do this too. Yeah. So it ends up being actually a two-way marketplace that you are just facilitating that transaction at some point in time, you know, on the online space and then saying, hey, this is it. Yeah, it also seems like a, a space where, like, if you were getting access to the, to the site... And it wasn't costing a lot of money, or it was free. I, I think seeing advertisements or seeing promotions from places that are, you know, specifically related to going on dates. I just don't think that's the kind of thing that would offend anybody. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. No. And I can just think of. A, I mean, I think of, there's a fair number of organizations in town that are just trying to. I mean, if they can tap into an existing community to to bring people to their events. I mean, I think there's. Quite a, quite a few, actually. Exactly. And they're coming to us, actually. Right. So we don't even have to really do a lot of footwork to actually find them. But they just hear about us, and they say, this is a really great model. You guys are not about this kind of creepy, you know, aggressive weirdness. So we actually are very happy to partner with you guys. Um, and the other part is that um, 
you know, rather than advertising in the newspaper and kind of wondering who's seeing us, right. you can actually be like Pacific Northwest Ballet, like one of the principal ballet dancers could be our question of the day host, right? Creating sure. the questions. Sure. And suddenly it's like an advertising platform for them for like a week where right. you're like, we get to meet awesome people. Sure. Who are creating these questions? Yeah, or your friendly local startup lawyer, for example. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you can ask legal questions like. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think those probably good questions of the day. Legal, legal questions. Yeah, legal questions. Well, we, we do curate the questions, Joe. So if the if, if you don't come up with creative questions, we'll be like, um, can you try harder? <laughs> I feel like, I feel like a, hey, everybody, how, how do you feel about prenups? And then everybody could just fight. <laughs> it would be like a terrible, you know what I mean? Oh my gosh. Actually, prenup, a prenup that, might be a good That might actually be, I mean, we might make it a <laughs> little so, vague. It's so, but. so controversial. <laughs> like, you know, you're just ready to like set people off. Right. Well, I think that actually tags into this idea of what is success on a lot of these apps. Well, I, a lot of things in this world that are online are so binary, right? It's like you're a hookup app or you're a, a like for all forever marriage app, right? Or you're, you know, for heterosexuals or for like, you know, non-heterosexuals or it just it, it's so one and zero. And to me I'm like success is like for us, it can be anything from you've never tried an online dating site because you found them creepy and you joined Siren, right? And you weren't freaked out about it. All the way up to, you know, everything, every little part of that spectrum up to saying, hey, I found somebody who I want to actually walk the rest of my life to. And we have somebody. So they actually said, hey, joined on really early, um, really early, and um, we're engaged. That's so, great. That's yeah. exactly what you're, you know, those are the success stories you're going to be watching for. I'm sure yeah. you'll see more of that. Um, nice to have so. that first one. Yeah. Um, tell me, uh, there was, I was going to ask about how you're acquiring users. But I, mean, I know the mm -hmm. service is still relatively young, and you've yep. gotten a bunch of press. I've seen things uh, in, the, in the paper, right. uh, the, the virtual paper. Um, but, uh, yeah, like, so how, what's your strategy for finding new people? Like, yeah, and that's a good kind of maybe start a business question, too, is that when you're in the you know, consumer space, how do you find people? And so, and especially when you don't have a lot of budget. Well, for us, that's that whole market validation, that word of mouth is really the most powerful way of doing it. And when you started out as two women co-founders of a, of a, in a space that oftentimes is actually populated by a bunch of creepy men, and you know that because you've seen like interviews by yeah, some of them. Did you see the Tinder interview this week? <laughs> That's like, right. It was like this week the CEO of Tinder. Yep. Just like, like creepy thing after creepy thing. You couldn't imagine like more creepy stuff. I know. And I, I was like, who didn't stop him and was like, stop? He was like, he. I, I, so correct me if I'm wrong, because I, as I read the article, but I don't remember it exactly. But it was something like he was just like. I don't love women just for their bodies. Like, sure, like, you know, like, <laughs> like you, uh, supermodels are, like, banging down my door all the time trying to, like, screw me, but, like, I, uh, you know, I want some intellectual challenge. And then he said, like, I'm looking for something like, what's the, what's the word I'm thinking of uh, for, like, an intellectual, <laughs> for an intellectual challenge? Uh, sodomy. And then, and then the per like his handler was like, ah, I don't, I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what you meant. And he looked it up on his phone, and he's like, oh, no, that's not, that's not what I meant. But, like, I can't imagine a worse face for like a dating. I mean, yep. actually, I don't. I haven't used Tinder. Maybe that's exactly the face they're looking for for the type of service it is. But it seemed super creepy and it, just yeah. It I, does kind of percolate down to the experience for sure. Um, and I think there's a difference between saying you know if you want discretion, that doesn't mean you're a prude by any means, right? Those are not the same. And if you're someone who uh, you know values being intellectual, it certainly doesn't mean you're not sexual, right? Those are like that's the weird dichotomy and that binary part. I'm like, you can be funny and very much about like a sensory experience and engaging in a lot of different ways. 
and I know a lot of people like that, right? I, I actually don't know a lot of people like that Tinder dude, right? Yeah, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> so. it's like a that's like a yeah, kind of a super douchey startup. Like it's a bro- programmer kind of a. Yep, it is, know. and I think that's a lot of who. I mean, the the kind of people who I've met through, you know, because people will be like, oh, you should meet so and so. They started a dating app, and you're like, oh, okay, so I will. And um, one guy, he's like, oh, my site's totally like yours. And it was completely like creeper site. And he's <laughs> like, um, you know, we're just trying to make people happy. And I was like, um, okay. And then he follows up with an email, and his email says, and I, it, you know, he, I think he was trying to be helpful. And, you know, uh, he said, oh, you know, I, it, I don't think your model's going to work because I've always told the sexy ladies on my site, literally, the sexy ladies to just email the people that they're interested in, and it didn't work. <laughs> I was like, "Oh, okay, well." <laughs> totally applicable. <laughs> Thanks. We're not doing that, but yeah. you know, hey. <laughs> well, so so talk to us about a little bit about. Um, I mean, you've got this really cool thing going on with Siren. I mean, I really love the story and the thought. I mean, you've you've obviously put a lot of thought into it, and, and I think I think you have some really. Really good ideas, and so I'm, I'm totally excited to watch it to watch it go. Thanks. And to watch it we are too. Yeah, I, mean, I think you, I think I mean it's just a really thoughtful. I mean, it sounds like a really thoughtful thing you've gone through to build well, it and get to where you are right to now. To me, it also feels like, but it feels natural, right? So, like when right. people say, "Oh, it seems really thoughtful," I'm like, "Well, that's because the bar for thoughtfulness is so low, so right. low." I mean, right. <laughs> you know, all I just thought is. How do people want to meet in real life? Well, right. they do it by, you know, just think about like an awesome dinner party, you know, where you talk to someone and there's some banter and there's some signaling exchange and then you kind of go, oh, you're going to go to this thing? Awesome. Well, maybe I'll meet you there, right? Like that's how it all starts. I'm like, that's all we just have to do. We have to do that. Right. So, right. Yeah. Well, so, so okay. So just, uh, so like, are you still doing like artist, other artist work on the, as well? Are you still, are you still pursuing your, your work as an artist, like in your spare time? And like, like how do you? Spare time. Joe, come <laughs> do on you have now. any spare time? Um, so I, when I, I, I still actually do think of uh, Siren in a way as um, like a social sculpture. Okay. So everything that I know how to do as an artist, I have applied in the startup space. And that means, you know, hustling, working on absolutely no budget, um, willing things into existence, right? Creating that first beta platform wasn't stressful for me at some level because that's always what I know how to do. Um, and then, you know, I know in the, in the tech world they talk about like agile development and stuff like that. And I'm like... That's always how an artist needs to work, right? You basically look at what's new today and then say, well, what can we actually apply to how we need to change things? And then what things do we just ignore? Um, Because things are going to change again. So that kind of nimble, hustling, you know, problem-solving aspect, I think artists are very good at doing that. So I think of it as like, you know, it's the same. Yeah, I I, I like the... uh I like that. I like the fact that you you you, you came at this from an artist's point of view because I don't hear a lot of um, I don't hear that a lot from. I mean, I, I see a lot of uh, pretty technical people um, who you know who spent their life like you know writing code and mm-hmm. who decide you know, they want to do something. I, mm-hmm. I see that a lot. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, honestly, like I I don't see like I, I guess I just haven't 
seen very often someone who's just an artist say to themselves, well, gee, you know, my art could be better expressed in, in technology, in an app on a phone, mm-hmm. uh, than it could be in, like, pottery. Like, I, right. I, never, I don't think I've heard a story <laughs> quite like that before. I think that's super, super exciting and fun to hear. Yeah, there's kind of a shortage of art in, in the tech world. Like, yeah. I mean, we, uh, it's a common thing I hear from other people that I know that make software is, like, they're all just looking for artists to help them make the products better. And part of that yeah. is because of the, you know, App Store and Apple kind of raised the bar for what consumer apps need to look like. Right. And there's, like, a, some expectation on the part of customers that the app or the website's going to be delightful in some way right. and going to, you know, be, be polished. Um, so there, there's, a, there's a pretty high demand for, for that sort of thing in, in the tech world. Yeah, I mean, the idea of, like, a good design that can carry the message and the content of it is definitely one aspect of it. But I think the other aspect is that artists really do look at the world differently. So even something like the idea of capital or money, and so a lot of your... um, subscribers might be wondering, well, how much money do you need to start a startup, right? Or how did you suddenly go from, like, a salary job to um, not making any money at all? Well, like, for me, it was actually easy because I'm like, I didn't make any money as an artist, really, or very little, and I'm still doing that, so it's the same. Um, but I, I, I know that I think, I having conversations with people, I think of money very differently than other people, and the numbers don't matter to me as much. I really think of money as energy, And so capital is this idea that you can use this energy in different ways, and you can absolutely store it, right? But if you store it for too long, it actually starts to lose its effectiveness. And you can waste it, right, in stupid ways, and you've seen that plenty of times, even in the startup world, right, and the stock market. Or you can actually apply it to something and go, oh, that actually generated something really interesting. And to me, that's always what I like to do. So um, I don't think people would look at me and say, oh, here's somebody who's a really good person with their money, right, in terms of the actual numbers. But in terms of what I've done with that money, they would absolutely say that impact is huge, right? Um, And I think one of the things that we forget, especially in the startup world, is we always talk about it being hard. But it's not. It's actually a real privilege because... Really shitty jobs are things like, I mean, we know, right? It might be anything from having to clean up the toilets at, like, SeaTac, right, at, at 2 a.m. There are bad jobs. There, there are, are bad really, jobs really horrible jobs. And not only that, but the circumstances that that person, it might be their only job opportunity. And so that's the thing is, like, in the startup world, I know if I, you know, not that someone's going to fail, but, you know, should it fold for some odd reason, I have other opportunities. And so the thing that I can replenish is the money part, right? What I can't ever redo is the time and the experience spent, as well as what I learned from that whole process. So, I mean, I think if when, when people think about, well, do I want to do this, you know, if you think about it as this chunk of like saying, it's not going to be for the rest of your life. This is going to be an adventure, right? It might be a one-year adventure. It might be a three-year one. But it's a small chunk of your life. You're going to get a ton of information and a lot of experience about it. You're going to meet really great people. You might lose money, but that's the one thing that if you are in the startup world, you're privileged enough to know you can make again at some level, right? So, yeah. yeah I like that idea. I like the idea about money being a form of energy. Like, and in, in, uh, you, as you think about it, it totally, uh, totally fits. Like, um, you put the time in, you put the, the effort in, and then you're, it's like you're storing that up in the form of cash that you could then spend on either other people's efforts or, exactly. or uh, other ways to, to make things happen. Um, totally. Yeah, and then, you yeah. know, the negative is, like, that's where people use money to substitute for attention and time, right? So, you know, instead of, instead of like, going out to dinner with somebody that you love, you actually just buy them something and then be like, okay, well, that should be enough for you. And, and it doesn't. It's right. It's not enough. So that's not a great substitute of energy. So we're really we're really talking here about um, sort of intrinsic versus 
extrinsic ideas maybe? I mean, there's the, the things that, that are intrinsic that you can um, pursue and that probably are pretty fulfilling. And then there are things that like money or a car or things like this that, I mean, you can chase those things all day long, but you'll never have enough cars. You'll, you'll never have enough money. Right. You'll never have enough of any of that stuff. So you'll always feel unfulfilled. Whereas if you're, mm. if you're, if you're seeking some sort of intrinsic thing, yeah, and I think, you know, the technology world is definitely doing that where they're like, oh, I'm doing meditation now or I'm doing, like, you know, yoga retreats and all this other kind of stuff because they're they're missing that conversation. Um, but I think it has to be a much more fundamental shift because one of the things as an artist that I'm recognizing is the nonprofit world is shrinking because we absolutely are entrenched in a hyper-capitalist society where the only way we actually understand value is through money. And so we've actually lost this idea of... Um, there's a concept, and I'm spacing on the author's name, but a gift economy, right? And a gift economy is not literally like you're just giving gifts to each other, but that the exchange is more important than the actual like price tag on things. So, um, so when you think about that, I mean, like I actually find there's like this weird pleasure that I have in. Um, when I started the startup and wasn't making money, I realized, oh, I have to cut out things out of my life because I obviously can't buy them anymore or, you know, go out to eat as much. Um, but there was this weird inverse pleasure that was happening, and I was like, it's not because I don't like to go out to eat, but it was actually because I realized I was gaining more and more freedom to realize it didn't take that much for me to still be happy. Like, I'm, you know, really, like, enjoying my life. And when you realize, oh, it only takes, like, Thirty-five or forty thousand dollars to still like be laughing with my friends and to feel like I have a fulfilled life. That suddenly real makes you realize I can pretty much do any job, right? And it could be okay, right? So there's like this freedom that happens from that. Yeah, a lot of people like there's this idea that people get kind of owned by their things and yeah. owned by the owned by the lifestyle that they create for themselves, and they get like they feel like they've got to keep working a job that they don't like or doing something that's isn't creatively fulfilling them because they've got, you know, they, they've, they've prioritized the going out to eat or the, or the fancy car over the ability to spend their time working on things that they like or things right. that are spending time with friends and family. Um, yep. yeah, it's an interesting, like, uh, you know, it's just about where you place the priorities. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's tough. And the one thing is if you're, if you're always looking for more stuff, like what Joe was saying, like you're always going to, that, that never gets kind of uh, satisfied. Mm -hmm. Like there's no, like you shouldn't assume that if you get something or if you have something that it's going to somehow all of a sudden you're going to be comfortable and fine with it. Like you should right. just assume that no matter how much stuff you get or how much money you get, you're probably going to still want more and right. maybe just relax a little bit and just focus on doing things that you enjoy. Yeah. Um, and the thing is also if you, if you, always are getting stuff, then you also, there's no special part of getting stuff, right? So I remember when, you know, you're in grad school or like, you know, in law school, going out to eat was like this awesome thing, right? Because you're like, I don't get to do it very often. And so it became this, you know, thing that you really looked forward to. There was this anticipation. There was a celebration aspect of it. But if you're literally going out to eat like three or four times a week now, what, there's no joy. You've just managed to kill all the joy in going out to eat. And so now, like, you know, and the same thing goes with like, you know, buying stuff. So, like, when I bought my first car, which I bought outright and, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, paid over time, I still am happy that I, like, because I don't do this on a regular basis, and it's the only car that I've actually done. So, I, you know, it's, it's seven years later. I'm like, this is my car. <laughs> I'm still yeah. happy with it. <laughs> That's a great story. So, uh, gosh, you know, we've covered a lot of ground, and I, I, I really like everything you've had to say. Um, should we, I mean, would you like to, to end with any particular thoughts um, 
for the audience or for us or yeah, and, and let us uh, let people know where they can find out more about Siren. Oh yeah, let me do that first. Um, so you can look up Siren in the iTunes Store under Siren Socially Evolved. Um, in the Google Play Store, you can also see you know look that up. Otherwise, you'll see like police sirens apps right. also. So. Um, <laughs> Um, and then the app is, or on the web app is um, app or app.siren.mobi. Okay. Um, so those are three things. You can also find us on the website, so just look up Siren Dating and you'll find our website. That'll right. have all that information. Um, I think, you know, for your audience, um, especially as someone who I think is an outlier in a lot of ways in the startup world, is I would love to see more outliers. Um, I don't like using the word diversity because I think it's a kind of overused now and people don't really understand what that means. Um, but I will say that I think diversity begets diversity. So if you have women and people of color and people who are not from Microsoft and Amazon starting companies, you will actually attract more people who will do that. Um, and uh, I think that will, that will kind of eliminate some of that homogenization that I think we see because there's a lot of cronyism that I notice and it's you know, it seems to benefit the one person who gets to sort of hang out with his buddies, but as a whole, it's really, you know, toxic for the ecosystem. And, you know, the startup world should be something where you can really change the world, like one company at a time. And I'm finding, like, uh, the companies that are coming out, you're like, mm, there's a lot of herd mentality, things that just, um, they really are, again, benefiting like a 1% and not necessarily everybody else. So, I would love to see more people jumping into this world in a in a courageous way. Fantastic. Well, thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thank thank you so much. It was a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Great. Thanks. And thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>